Well, hello there. We are just back from Cuba, Havana, and Cienfuegos Way. It's the best trip ever. It's Jim and Carrie. Buenos dias, my friends. So we just got back from a trip that uh, we were lucky to get in just in the nick of time. Yeah, this one's been on my list for a long time. I've always dreamed of going to Cuba, and the opportunity came up, and we jumped right on this one. And the crazy part is while we were down there, uh, there are going to be new restrictions going into place by the U.S. government where it's going to make it more difficult for Americans to travel to Cuba again. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's been difficult, and then in about 2016 it was opened up as long as you went as a people-to-people or one of seven other reasons to go. And now it looks like the policies are going to change again coming May. But nothing's been set in stone, but boy, were we lucky because we had the freedom while we were in country to really get an authentic experience. That was one of the things. It's like with uh, new parameters opening up, I wanted to get to Cuba before a lot of the multinational uh, corporations did and really kind of changed the flavor. We wanted an authentic experience. And I would say as far as tours go and as far as what you can do without being, say, an expat living in Cuba for whatever reason, I'd say we definitely got a taste of it. We were only there a few days, but I think we got a good idea of what uh, life in Cuba can be like. Yeah, it was so great to actually get off of our ship. And we are, were on Royal Caribbean's Empress of the Seas, which is a smaller ship in their fleet. And it was great to get into port and not see a Diamonds International, not see a Starbucks on any street corner, and see no national, multinational brands. It was like stepping back in time. I think I must have repeated a hundred times. I feel like I'm in a movie set from the 1950s. Yeah, it was really interesting um, as far as... The shops you see, a lot of small things, a lot of small entrepreneurs. Granted, virtually everything you see is under government control, but it's still interesting to see how people work around many of those controls. Yeah, everything that is said or done is pretty much regulated by the government in terms of business, by the Cuban government. But we did notice that with the reemergence of, you know, of commerce coming out in recent years, that people are starting businesses, if, whether it's selling goods out of literally their living room, as we found in Old Town Havana, or starting little coffee shops, or even tiny, tiny boutiques. It wouldn't even be considered to be a boutique here in the U.S. It's, it's advancing forward in the land of capitalism, I guess. So let's start. As you mentioned, we were on the uh, Empress of the Sea, Royal Caribbean, a ship that was constructed in 1990. Royal Caribbean ran it for many years and then sold it and then bought it back a couple of years ago with the express intent of using it to sail to Cuba because of the smaller ports and things. A smaller ship can go places where some of today's massive ships cannot go. And they refurbished it, and it's a it's a lovely ship. I mean, if your idea of cruising is having go-karts and having all of the entertainment options and all the restaurant options that today's cruising affords, then you're probably not going to like this ship. But really, it's a charming ship and has is really amazing amenities for being around 30 years old. Yeah, I really actually like the ship. And I went in with kind of a skeptical eye, having been on many, many, many cruises, thinking our cabin was going to be tiny. The ship was going to be dark. It was going to feel old, but it didn't at all. It was actually really pleasing. It had great public spaces that you actually would never find on the modern ships nowadays because if there's an empty space, they're going to put an upcharge restaurant, a boutique, a photo salon. There's going to be something going on in every spot. But on the Empress of the Seas, they did not. You could see 
sit and read a book and actually have some peace and serenity and really enjoy your time. They still have things like an alternative dining with Chops Grill. They have your traditional dining, but it's got kind of the original golden age of cruising to it. And this ship holds approximately 1,500 passengers. Uh, I was surprised how wide and well lit the hallways are uh, as long as you're going to and from your your stateroom. You mentioned the open spaces had a large casino. Uh, one of the larger ones that I think we've ever seen, even on a ship of its size. Yeah, I had a great casino with kind of two terrace levels. One of the things that I could not get over was the fact that you could actually get a chair at the pool. One of my pet peeves of cruising in, say, the Caribbean is that if you don't get out there by 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, you can pretty much give up ever getting a deck chair because people have been camping out for them and holding space. This one, I don't think there was ever a time where there wasn't a chair available, and we've never had a chair right next to the pool before. And this was at 8 o'clock in the morning, wide open, wide selection. So that right there was excellent as far as I was concerned. And I think it has a lot to do with the itinerary. Um, when you have a smaller ship, uh, sort of like the Paul Gauguin in Tahiti in French Polynesia, it tends to be a more outward-focused thing where you're more focused on the port you're going to be at as opposed to what's going to be on board the ship. So I think a lot of people were more interested in the instructional and educational aspects of learning about Cuba as opposed to partying and having a great time on a cruise ship. So I think that kind of explains why a lot of the deck chairs were open and a lot of the open public spaces and, and things like that. Yes, this was definitely not a first-time cruiser uh, ship. I found that almost every person I spoke to had been on multiple cruises, very well-traveled, and they, much like we were, were excited to get to visit Cuba before it changes and while we still could. So definitely outward-facing. And the fact is you have to have a visa to go to Cuba. It's compulsory. So it's $75 per person, which was charged on board the ship. Some cruise lines require you to take their shore excursions as offered. Royal Caribbean did not, but you do have to pre-book shore excursions because there's really no options once you get into port and so we had pre-booked our excursions to actually external sources i did not use royal caribbeans but instead i used some of my private companies that i prefer to work with now because of situations uh, we ended up having to spend one day in cozumel you can probably find out about cozumel on a different podcast we'll focus on cuba here but our first port in cuba was cienfuegos yeah, this is a charming little colonial town and just had its 200th birthday uh, this past Monday in April. So it's adorable. It's been totally restored and just really, really friendly people, bright colors. And of course, the first thing you see are those gorgeous classic cars. Now, let's talk about this. We did a private tour where we didn't do it. We did it independently. We booked it independently of the cruise line. And while many other cruise uh, passengers booked through the cruise line, they were getting on buses and things. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But our situation, I liked it better because one, it was private. It was just us uh, and our families. And then the other issue was instead of getting on a bus, we got to ride in classic cars, which are almost a symbol of Cuba. Yeah, I believe that I had uh, attended a symposium and they said there were 40,000 classic cars in Cuba ranging from the 1920s to the 1950s and 60s. And they were saying that there's only 46 private cars per 1,000 homes in Cuba as opposed to the U.S., which I think was like 960 per 1,000. So it's kind of interesting. And they really work hard on keeping these these cars. They're passed down from generation to generation. Some of them, I swear, are put together with uh, Bondo and duct tape. If you were to look 
look in them. Yeah, and also, if you were to look under the engine, you may be riding in a Chevy, but you probably got a Hyundai engine or some other part because they really use all their resources that are here available on the island. So we got to ride in two classic Chevys uh, in our group, uh, some people in one and us in the other as we, as we drove around. And I guess my first tip, if I had a suggestion for you, is rather than doing the cruise ship itinerary and booking your excursions through the cruise ship where you're just in a big bus and you only get pictures of the taxis and things, I would strongly recommend booking an itinerary where you have a private group and getting to ride around in the classic car, which was super fun. Yeah, and another thing is you get flexibility. You're not keeping someone else's schedule, which is something that we've learned. We've done the cruise line shore excursions, and what I've usually found in recent years when we've done them, we get about halfway through the tour, and we usually get tired of being herded around with 42 other people, and we end up dropping off. So this one, it was nice because we met up with our guide. We got in our cars. She had kind of an idea in mind, but we were able to change everything that she planned for our day. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. So she took us about uh, 20 minutes to see one of the uh, lighthouses, which was fine. And then she took us around to see the uh, channel that the cruise ship sailed down as it was coming into port at Cienfuegos. And we're looking on this dock across the way and she's pointing to some old forts and some old buildings and she points to a house and says that one of her good friends lives there and she spends a lot of time there. And I just jokingly said, ooh, can we go and meet her? Let's go to her house. Just kind of half joking, didn't expect anything to happen. And well, it happened. Uh, for once, Jim's big mouth got us in, got us for the positive. It was pretty wonderful to have him jokingly say to her, hey, can we go? Two seconds later, she picks up her cell phone, calls her friend, and within 10 minutes, he sent a boat over to pick us up. We crossed back the channel, went up to their house, and they made us the most gorgeous and delicious cup of Cuban coffee. Amazing. It was so cool to talk to the people that live in the house. He's a fisherman. Talk about the history of the house, how they took it over after it would fallen into disrepair, and they've rebuilt the house themselves. And he was getting ready to uh, go out and fish for three months for snapper season. Just a great way to really, you know, be off the beaten path and talk to real Cubans about their real lives and common interests and really make that human connection. Yeah, in this particular area, the houses are typically passed down from generation to generation. There aren't too many of them. And if you do want to uh, purchase one, and they said one had just sold for the equivalent of about 200000 U.S., it has to be restored to its original state. So they had actually uh, bought the house. We're in the process of restoring it. And a few years ago, someone knocked on their door and said they'd lived in that house in the 1950s. And they actually had original photos of what the house looked like at the at that time. And they were in the process of restoring it. And it was so interesting to see what it looked like. And this is just day-to-day -day life. And they go off of what's available. And it was just so much fun to sit out on the terrace and ask questions because I'm just a sponge for knowledge when it comes to those kind of things. So we probably spent 45 minutes to an hour at the home, got back in the water taxi, head back across the channel and into our classic cars and on the way. But again, that's one of the reasons why I think, especially for Cuba, it's a great idea to book your own 
private tour so you can do things like that so you're not rushed in places where you want to spend some more time and you're not bored in places where you're taking a lot more time than you'd rather because you're waiting for everybody in a large group so I think if I could make one tip for you be sure to try to book any tours independently of the cruise line so you can do what you want and who knows what you'll come up with and what you'll be able to do. Yeah, we especially felt it as we headed back into town. She kind of took us into Cienfuegos Old Town. We stopped at the Yacht Club and we stopped at a few other beautiful old buildings that have been restored. But we stopped at this house that looked kind of like an Arabian palace. And we and it was located next to a hotel and we kind of furrowed our brow because when we got there, there were six giant buses there and they were all going into it. And she told us, she goes, I just want to stop so you can see the building. We're not going to go tourist, tour the building. We just want you to see what a million dollars 50 or 60 years ago actually purchased we're glad we stopped but we were also kind of you know shaking our head at the buses that were trying to work their way through the parking lot and we hopped in our car and got the heck out of there i also like the uh, bodega de valle sign (laughs) well yeah that's always worth a great selfie always uh so she took us to uh downtown in cienfuegos uh, we got to see a lot of the, the shopping areas where, where people buy things. And she, she explained how things work as far as uh, purchasing in Cuba. Yeah, because uh, communist country, they're still currently on a ration system. So everyone's given a ration card. And there are different levels of stores. So there's a level one ration store where you can get the basic items. And then as those are sold out, or you want something that's maybe not as readily available, you go to different levels. And sometimes they're two and five times more expensive than original prices. So she walked us through a couple different markets. And there's no variety. They were out of eggs at the time. So everybody's doing high, uh, the hydrogenated I think eggs at this time there was very little meat available there was a wait for chicken but if you want toothpaste there's one brand to choose from you get no choice there was one brand of a cleaning product uh you saw different uh, bowls and other things that they had but just one they had like one brand of orthopedic shoes people could buy and while we were in the ration store somebody tried to cut in line and that didn't go over well we heard some grumbling and she was like yeah don't don't cut in line so That would be my advice, but just fascinating uh, to see everybody wandering around, to see uh, we walked into what used to be an old Sears store. Um, Just interesting to see the differences between the the life here where we're very spoiled and very fortunate in the the United States and just what everyday life is like for, for Cubans. Yeah, just not a lot of variety. If you want a beer, there are two Cuban beer brands. I wanted the equivalent of a Diet Coke, obviously Coca-Cola, not there. So I had what tasted a lot like a Shasta diet. It was quite good. I was surprised. So you just learn to get by with what you have. You don't need to have 27 different kinds of beverages. You get one or two, and that's what it is. Getting back to the Cuban cola, uh, a few days later, we had rum and Coke, and they gave us the Cuban cola, and by itself, the, not the diet cola, but the sugar regular uh, Cuban cola is very bland. It's not very bubbly. It's not very effervescent like, say, a Coke or a Pepsi you're used to. But when I put it rum, when I added rum to the cola, I was like, oh, this works really well with rum. Now it all makes sense to me as to why it's flavored the way it was because oftentimes you f- I find that a rum and Coke in my opinion, that I've had here in the United States doesn't go very well. It's not that good, but with a more mellow cola beverage, it really kind of brought out the rum notes, I felt, and was probably the best rum and Coke I'd ever had. So 
it was it was a learning moment as far as rum and coke and in, in uh, Cuba or Cuba Libre, I should say. But either way, uh, we went up to the top of the hotel and got to see a lot of the preparations for the centennial. Yeah, they were getting ready for their big event that was going to be held on Monday, the 22nd, I believe it was, was the 200th birthday. So we could see the government buildings that were at City Hall was being painted. A couple gentlemen up there on a ladder that I probably wouldn't attempt to be standing on with, of course, no security railings. We got to go into the National Theater, which was absolutely stunning. One of the prettiest theaters I'd ever seen. And it had to be restored because of Hurricane Irma a couple years ago, pretty much decimated it. So that was another one that was worth seeing. And these are things that, again, if you're on a bus with 42 people and three or four buses show up, it's not a good experience. But because we were a small group of six, that was the perfect way to go. And also we got to stay, you know, not watching anybody else's clock. We stayed the amount of time that we wanted to. If we wanted to fast forward through something, we did. And if we wanted to stay longer, we had the flexibility. One of the things about the theater that our guide was telling us is that because their education is so rich in studying theater and the arts, that they are experts and they know good theater and they know what's good and they know what's not so good. So it's sort of like Carnegie Hall. How do you get there? Practice, practice, practice. But they say that the Cuban population when it comes to theater and the arts is a very picky audience. So keep keep that in mind. I thought that was... That was kind of interesting. But I loved my time in Cienfuegos. Oh, gosh. I had such a great time. It's one of those I wish we would have had more time. I mean, I'm a shopper, and I had zero time to buy anything while we were there. But we knew we had to get back on the ship to head on to our next port. And the next port, of course, is Havana. Now, we were supposed to get there early in the day, but uh, there was a there was a medical incident with one of the passengers on board. So we had to go to the closest hospital, which was Grand Cayman. So we had to divert our ship, which got us. Well, luckily, the person was safe, and apparently they're fine, as far as we know. But uh, that took us a few hours off course. So rather than getting to Cuba early in the morning, we got to Cuba late in the afternoon. So we missed several hours of touring, but obviously the priority is that person's health and safety. But that night we went to the world famous Tropicana Club in Havana. Yeah, that's always been something that's been on our list. This is its 80th anniversary. And, and legend has it, according to my mom, my great-grandfather used to hang out there in the 50s. So I had to kind of walk where history had been in my family's past. And I'm really glad that we went. I am too. Um, we were talking about the arts. And let me just say that everybody up on stage, incredibly talented, uh, incredibly gifted, talented. The costumes are amazing. As far as a spectacle goes, I enjoyed the show. I would say there must have been a minimum 40 performers between two two or three sets of stages. The biggest surprise to me is it's outside. I had no idea that this was an outdoor um, club. I always assumed it was indoors, was going to be smoky, and it was the opposite. I jokingly called it the equivalent of Disneyland's The Tiki Room. Yeah, of course, given some of the costumes, it was more like The Cheeky Room, but anyway. But I'm uh, So... Not taking anything away from the performers. The performers, I give an A plus to. Everything else, it's government run. And what's the saying? Close enough for government work. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the way it was run. Uh, lots of people getting up. Lots of people kind of blocking everything. It 
you know, it's very, there's a lot, it's a very big space that holds a lot of tourists. People got there late, so they're walking in front of you. Again, because it's government owned, maybe there's not the sense of urgency with some of the people working there that they may otherwise have. Um, I just thought that the performers, A+, I felt that the operation took away from all the great work that was happening on stage. Is that fair? Definitely. It was one of those where we had to, you know, flag down our server and because what happens is they actually bring you a couple soft drinks and then they bring you a bottle of rum and it's self-served for rum and cokes while you're there, Cuba Libres. So just kind of felt like, you know, it could have gone one step, you know, higher. But again, you know, you're in a tourist zone and it I'm sure it's a lot different than it was, you know, in the 50s. But it's, again, something we can tick the boxes that we've been there. The talent was there. The costuming was crazy cool and no matter how many pictures you took it still couldn't do it justice yeah so i would do it once and the nice thing is is because again we did not book through the cruise line we came in a van that the second the show was over we dashed out the door our van was waiting and we were out in less than five or ten minutes as opposed to other people that were having to wait for the 10 buses of 42 people each load so i'm sure they were not back at the ship until hours later oh yeah it's in our neighborhood so i can imagine just how chaotic and slow it must be to get out of the Tropicana Club when it's packed. So something to keep in mind. But like I said, excellent performers. Everything else kind of took away from the from the experience. You know, there's servers walking around. There's there's obviously people. It's sort of like a dinner theater in some spots, depending on where you sit. And like, like I, said, I don't know. Uh, excellent performance, though. Let's talk about the, the next day. And again, we uh, didn't take the, the cruise ship tour, we did our own private tour. And there are a lot of different options for private tours. Like your parents took a tour, other people took different tours. There, there's many different ideas. Yeah, I mean, you had anywhere from an option of like there's Jewish history, there's a walking tour of Old Havana. kind of depends on your interest. We actually went with a culinary tour that I'd booked through one of my preferred suppliers. We were originally supposed to take it on that Friday, but because we were late getting in, luckily I was able to call them from the ship and change our tour over to Saturday. So we started early 8 a.m. and got got rolling because we knew we had to sail out that afternoon. Now the uh, port where you come in on the cruise ship is in Old Havana. So this is definitely the area that most tourists go to, probably 99% of all tourists. So it's fairly well maintained. There's a lot of cafes, there's shopping, there's, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of old buildings, there's hotels, there's cathedrals. It is beautiful. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. And as we were sailing into Havana, one of the things that we kept thinking is it looked kind of like gray and sad. Well, when you actually get into old Havana, you realize how the bright colors are there and how stunning all the buildings actually are because it's, uh, you know, Spanish architecture and Art Deco ar architecture. And there's so much to see that you really need to immerse yourself in the 360 of it. And of course, there's so much cafe culture there that it's, it's a must see. We started our tour about eight o'clock in the morning so not everything was open yet which was actually a nice way to do it because we were the only ones on the street with our guide Patoto and it was wonderful because we weren't fighting crowds and we just kind of got to see it you know as the day and as the country was waking up. 
Yeah, good idea to leave early so then you can have more of a intimate experience and really appreciate the architecture and the open spaces as opposed to wall-to-wall people, which it will be later because there are tours everywhere, particularly when there's several ships in port. Yeah, and there were two ships in each day that we were there. So we enjoyed about a one-hour walking tour. He showed us where the legendary, if it's true, first mojito was made in like a university district. We got to find out where Hemingway had stayed because obviously he had a huge influence in the area. We got to see all the renovations of old Havana. November 16th is actually going to be the 500th birthday of Havana. So they're doing a great job of renovating the whole entire city and restoring it to its original state. And as they do the buildings, you know, everyone's a different color and they kind of make do with what the colors that they have available in paint. As our guide joked, we don't have Home Depot, so we don't get a lot of choice on our colors. Now, not every building has been updated. You do notice that there's a lot of empty buildings, a lot of dilapidated buildings. Uh, For example, when you sail into port, there are these old pier buildings, which, according to our guide, when uh, the Soviet Union collapsed in the early 90s, in 19, was it 90, um, everything sort of fell apart, and these buildings have been in disrepair now for for decades and you see you see a lot of that and you just can't help but wonder maybe like if a little bit of capitalism <laughs> came in and upgraded some of this stuff is there is there a way to do it because there are really some really beautiful buildings that are just either empty or dilapidated or starting to fall into disrepair and there's some beautiful architecture and there's also some ugly old Soviet architecture. Yeah, you definitely can tell. I would say probably one of the ugliest buildings that we saw while touring throughout Havana. And it is a very large city. There are 3 million people that live in Havana. So it's not a little town. But we drove by the Russian embassy and man, if that wasn't the ugliest thing I think I've ever seen. And it was surrounded by barbed wire. So in the category of ugly, the Russian architecture, ugliest. Yeah, it looked like the fortress for a Bond villain. It was so ugly, just ominous and just ugh. One of the things I would suggest, if you can, is try to take a tour that takes you outside of old Havana so you can see modern-day Havana. I think that helped a lot. Our guide took us, again, to the ration markets, like we saw where we saw people lined up for the staples, rice and beans, things like that. And then he also took us to a produce market, which looked just a lot like a farmer's market here in the United States. Yeah, he called that the level two market. So you would go in and actually pay for the items there. Um, the people that are vending and selling the actual items are not the farmers, because what happens is the farmers sell them, uh, give their items to the government, and the government gives them to other people to sell or sells them to other people. So we could see all sorts of produce and meat products and spices and it was very interesting to see how it's all handled and they pay in the local currency so there's two kinds of currency in cuba there's the cooks which is the cuks which are what are paid for as tourist dollars and then they have the cuban peso which is what a local currency is so that pays for things like their groceries i think they said their utilities but there's only certain items that they can pay for so for example our um, our guide was buying his wife uh, i think it was a mango which smelled absolutely phenomenal and i think it was about the equivalent of about 5 or 10 cents so keeping in mind in a country where maybe they make only 50 to 70 dollars a month you know 5 cents everything is relative uh the other thing that happened um this is very interesting in many places there is uh, burgeoning capitalism and potatoes 
is uh, a black market item. Potatoes very hard to come by again because of government control. Yeah, potatoes and eggs right now are very restricted what they have. So it was kind of funny. We got out of our car to go to the produce market, and a guy came up to our to our guide, and apparently they did a deal to buy a, a kilo of potatoes, which was pretty funny. And even our guide joked and said that was his dealer. Yeah, <laughs> he was like the huggy bear of potatoes. Uh, so yeah, it's like he, he secretly gave him the money and then suddenly out of nowhere, potato showed up in the trunk of our car. It was, it was, it was weird. I was like, are we going to get in trouble? Am I going to show up on potato cops? Is what, what What's going to happen here? So we, we got to see the, uh, the black market. So next time you have a potato, just keep in mind how easy you have it and how difficult it is to have something as simple as a potato in Cuba. But it was it was a very... It was just interesting to see as far as, uh, you know, regardless of your feelings on on socialism and, and communism, it's, it's great to see how the human spirit endures under any condition. And it was, it was just, you know, I'm sure the government has to know on some level, but it was just something that we take for granted is, is very special in other countries. So, so think about that. But I enjoyed being outside of Old Havana and really kind of getting a flavor for the way things are. Yeah. And so then from there, once we did kind of the focus on different markets, he took us to the level one market, the level two, and then we went to the equivalent of what they consider to be a level three or four market where you see more of the import items. So I jokingly called it like QFC or the Kroger, because you would see more multinational brands, more international than multinational, but you could actually find other brands where everything was imported. For example, there's a shortage of oil. So they're only rationed, I think, one bottle of oil. Cooking. Cooking oil, that is. Yeah. So instead, you would see people in these markets paying a premium for multiple bottles of cooking oil, as obviously it's used daily. So that was fun to just walk through the grocery store. We went back to the butcher's counter, and there were probably 40 people just mulling about. And I asked our guide what was going on. And he said, let me check. And he said, oh, well, they're expecting chicken to be delivered today. So apparently chicken's hard to get. So people were just waiting because they'd gotten word that maybe this grocery store had chicken. Granted, they're paying four to five times more than anything else it costs by shopping in these, you know, fancier grocery stores. But then other, like there was a beverage on the shelf that was imported from Poland. There were, you know, Spanish potato chips. And our guide said he actually enjoys going to the grocery store to see what comes in at various times because you never know and you can't order anything. And it looked sort of like a grocery store that you would go to. The shelves were bare in many spots, but it had the tile floor and it had the aisles with the shelving and some freezer cases and and what have you. So it was interesting to see where the ration markets are large, obviously lots of space for people to uh, line up behind the counters and get your daily things. The farmer's market, the, re- the level two looked like a farmer's market like you'd see anywhere. And then you get to this level three and it looks more like a grocery store, a small grocery store, often barren in places, but still a grocery store nonetheless. And then we walked by a store that sold uh, electronics and more household items. Yeah, so if you needed to buy like a countertop uh, grill or if you wanted to have a countertop stove, they were selling those items. They had TVs for sale. They had keyboards. And again, our guide said the markup on them were ridiculous. What they were charging for like a keyboard that would cost $40 in the U.S. was like the equivalent of about two or $300 in Cuba because, again, they were imported. But people were buying items. They also had a different store that was selling American chocolates. I have no idea what they pay for M&Ms, but it can't be cheap, especially since Cuba is known for its chocolate. And that one store did have a kitchen sink 
Only one, but it still had the kitchen sink. It was just interesting to see just how, you know, regardless of the the the, the governmental system, even the Cubans talked about this, uh, making the comparison to Animal Farm, a book you probably read in high school, that there are some who are more equal than others, and there are still haves and have-nots. In Cuba, there are some people who live a very meager life, and there are others who uh, have a pretty nice house and obviously more material items. Yeah, I mean, and it was so great because it seems like there was no question off limits. I mean, these guides were answering all of our questions. Once we went to the markets, then we made a, um, we headed out to more of the have, the Miramar neighborhood, which is more of the luxurious neighborhood, the old large houses, and this is also where all the uh, different embassies are located on the island. And we saw the uh, Fusterlandia. Oh, yes. This was amazing. Um, this artist, Jose Fuster, is kind of copycats um, uh, Gaudi from Spain. So we have been to actually the Gaudi Museum in Barcelona. So it was nice to see kind of an alternative. And it's literally a guy who took over his neighborhood with mosaics. And you get to go to his house. There was no charge to get in. And it just kept going on and on and on, almost like an, you know, like Escher would do. There'd be random staircases for no reason up to the roof, but more art. Yeah, it was very beautiful. Lots of mosaics everywhere you look, uh, different animals, different people, different scenes, lots of hearts. Yeah, everything in the neighborhood. If there's a fence, it was covered with mosaics. If there was a water tower, it was covered with mosaics. But it was absolutely fascinating. And it's something I didn't know much about. But I like it because I call it juvenile art. And since I'm not a big art person when it comes to having an eye for it, it was bright colors with lots of hearts. And that's right up my alley. Speaking of juvenile uh, because it, again, was a private tour with just us, we were able to uh, pick and choose what we wanted to do. So we were on our way to Fusterlandia, and we drive by an amusement park. And if you've seen any of our podcasts in the past, we have been to a few amusement parks all over the world. And just out of nowhere, I don't think I uh, conferred with you at all. I just said, hey, I want to go. And he was like, what? And so we turned around the cab, turned around our car, and uh, went to this amusement park, Isla de Coco. Yeah, which I guess affectionately they call it Coney Island. And so I think our driver was shaking his head because he couldn't believe we were going there. And our guide said, sure, we can go. So we pulled into the parking lot and our guide got out with us because you could only pay in Cuban pesos, so local currency, which we didn't have. And, you know, I felt kind of bad that our guide was paying our way and it cost a whole five cents per person to get in. Yeah, So that's and it was about 10 cents per adults for ride or five cents per kid per ride. So just interesting. And it's just an old little amusement park for, for very young kids and their parents to do uh, just on a, on a Saturday, which is why we were there. And, um, you know, the rides, I would guess, are probably 30-ish years old at least. Uh, some of them so old that they'd already fallen apart. They just kind of left some parts or some spaces where things are. But it was just kind of fun to see how families uh, find entertainment in Cuba. Yeah, and I guess apparently they used to have a great wooden roller coaster there, which was long gone. But I'm surprised anything is actually there because this theme park literally backs onto the ocean. We're across the street from the ocean. So imagine what salt water and does to metal. So and some hurricanes. And hurricanes yeah. and everything else that the elements have to offer. So the fact that they have 10 operating rides right now is pretty impressive. The carousel was actually really great. I was really impressed with 
with that. They had other rides. And you know what I learned is kids are kids no matter where you are. They're cheering, whether it's in English, Spanish, you choose the language, and they're having a great time. The only disappointment is that because, again, they don't sell much there. There is no gift shop, so I couldn't get a T-shirt. I'm sorry. They did have some uh, Batman masks and some other... Creepy Minnie Mouse plastic figurines, which terrified me. But, uh, yeah, they had uh, four-wheelers. That was a ride. People were riding four-wheelers. They had a pedal car up on a rail that you could uh, ride. Uh, They had, like, a Dumbo-style ride. They even had characters. I guess one of the characters is called Captain Plink. Uh, They had a Russian cosmonaut, which I thought was funny. I saw the spaceman. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that ain't Neil Armstrong in (laughs) Cuba. So, um... Just just a little fun thing. We didn't ride anything. I think we were pretty big for everything, but it was just fun to see. Yeah, and the food in the snack bar smelled really, really good. Yeah. We were kind of wondering, you know, what chicken dish they were serving, but, you know, leave it to us to find a theme park anywhere in the world and we can add it to our list. Yeah, I think our, uh, our host was a little bemused by that, but it's what we do. What are you going to do? Well, and especially since we started talking to him and realized that he's actually been to Epfeling in the Netherlands where we went this past summer. So once we had that connection, he kind of got us a little bit more. But I I really like the idea of doing a private tour. And again, I would encourage you to try to do that. So one, you can ride in a classic car with just your friends and family. And two, you can have that flexibility if you catch something that uh, fancies you. Uh, We also did lunch at a a restaurant in a home. Yeah, this was beautiful. This is, again, in the Miramar neighborhood. And it was called, I believe, La Fontana. We started our meal with actually taking a mojito class. So we got to make our own cocktails which I've never done before. It was a lot of fun. And then we uh, got to order off a price-fixed menu, and it was delicious. Yeah, it was a really nice experience. Kind of calm and serenity as we were in a private courtyard, and you didn't have any idea what was going on outside. And I had a great uh, pesto and seafood lunch, and you had a great plate of meat. Yes, a mixed grill with (laughs) uh, chicken, pork, and chorizo, because uh, beef is very... Hard to come by in Cuba, but it was it was very good. Yeah, I mean, that was just a really special experience. Again, because we were doing a private culinary tour, we got to go to this location as opposed to where a bus would take you and, you know, show you how to buy cigars and what they can sell you. Nowhere on this trip did they stop to sell us anything, which for me, the shopper, I was kind of disappointed I didn't have a lot of time to shop. Well, again, that was one thing that was nice about it is you did tell him what you wanted, that you wanted to go find coffee, and we went to buy some coffee. Yep, I bought a kilo of coffee from a local coffee place that was in the late 1800s, Roastery. And then actually we had about an hour left before we had to get back on the ship. And he took us to the only what I found to be commercial section, which was one of those original probably marine ports. They call it the Crafts Market, which had everything from crafts, arts, to kind of more mass market t-shirts. Who knows where those are made? But it was fun to kind of go there and find a few little trinkets to buy and a few little gifts. Yeah, it was it was fine. I mean, there were some artisans there, but by and large, a lot of the booths had a lot of the same t-shirts and a lot of the same mass market things. But again, if you look carefully and you take your time, you can find some artisans, like you bought some jewelry from a woman who is the designer. 
Yeah, and we also bought a couple of other little fun items that were produced from, say, old tin cans. They did some arts and crafts projects. So we bought a few things. We just didn't have a lot of time. I would say the only thing I didn't get to do in Havana because we ran out of time was going to ride in a cocoa taxi, which is basically this little yellow pedicab, half motorcycle, almost impossible to uh, describe. You'll have to wait till we get our YouTube video up on that one. I enjoyed uh, Cuba a lot. It was different than I expected. I think I learned a lot about people and uh, culture. Yeah, it's one of those places that I just expected to come into and have people be very buttoned up and reserved and furrowed brow. And it was not like that at all. They were warm and friendly and open. And it was just a real trip of a lifetime. I would recommend uh, anybody go if you can. Uh, obviously, given the situation with uh, our countries, there's always a lot of rumor and things, but I guess it made me realize that with probably a few exceptions, it's our governments who can't get along, but everywhere you go, people are people, and uh, the people of Cuba that we found were fantastic. Yeah, I think we've made some friends. We even, you know, got to befriend our guide from Cienfuegos and we'll keep in touch with her. And it's one of those things that it's a destination I want to go back to. It's not a one and done as far as I'm concerned. Any thoughts for uh, people as they're thinking about Cuba, if it's still a possibility for them? Oh, go while you still can, because we don't know how things will change. It's not a destination that as an American, you can just book airfare and book an Airbnb or a hotel. It doesn't work that way. It's still very expensive for Americans, and it's going to be continue to be expensive. So I feel like the best way to do it is on a cruise, because you're going to be in a, the essentially a floating hotel. You can spend your day out and about and come back to the creature comforts of a ship. A lot of the hotels, you know, they're lovely and all, but they're not huge. They do have a problem sometimes with overbooking you may have an electricity or plumbing issue so if you want to have the creature comforts definitely do it as a cruise if uh, people want more information how can they contact you carrie at stellartravel.com well i enjoyed cuba immensely i learned a lot just by talking to people and seeing for myself and hopefully uh, you will do the same and uh, maybe in the future depending on circumstances you could make cuba a part of your best trip ever